I'm all about building communities, celebrating unique journeys, and sharing stories about the paths people have taken to enter the tech industry. Join me as we explore the skills my guests have learned in their prior jobs, schooling, or life experiences, and how they apply them to their current roles in tech. My guest today changed careers in 2016 from recruiting to engineering. She focuses on SQL, JavaScript, and Python, and is currently a software engineer at Red Hat, working on product vulnerability tooling. Her name is JT Kaufman. Whether you want to do a boot camp or self-teach or get a degree, don't let anybody tell you that it's not worth learning and growing. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, and this is We Belong Here, lessons from unconventional paths to tech. And be sure to listen all the way to the end of today's episode, as I'm also chatting with the author of From Cubicle to Cloud, Jennifer Brazer, who shares tons of tips for entrepreneurs within the tech space. I think you'll really enjoy it. But until then, here's my conversation with JT. JT, welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today and learning about your journey. Let's start from the beginning, I suppose, right? Yeah, so I definitely had a very winding road to tech. Um, <laughs> okay. A lot of people. Um, sure. So I'm 30, so I came of age in the Great Recession. And so mm-hmm. I went starting my career a lot of very like menial jobs. So mm-hmm. I did everything from uh, nannying. I was a nanny yep. for a while. I did janitorial really? work at a school on weekends. Janitorial work at a school. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. That's, yeah. I worked at a restaurant and then I also had just random sales and office jobs, but nothing really intellectually stimulating. And I wanted that, of course. It just, it wasn't easy to find at that point. No, sure. What did you study in school? So I actually... I dropped out of school and I'm going back now, but when I originally... Good for you. Yeah, thank you. When I originally went, I went for business and um, not to get too heavy, but my dad actually got sick and I had to leave school. It kind of worked out because obviously I'm not spending my career as a business person. Mm -hmm. I got all the degree and something that... It wasn't the right path for you anyhow. Yeah, (laughs) so... Got it. Definitely winding path, but I, I'm okay with how that worked out, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, at some point, I found my way to recruiting, and pretty early on, I wound up specializing in tech recruiting. Tech recruiting. Okay, so the people that yeah. are like, hey, I've got this role at Amazon. <laughs> yeah. You're the perfect fit. <laughs> and I know tech people don't always like recruiters, and I understand that. I will say that the kind of recruiting I did... I got to actually get some tech certs myself to really understand the people I was recruiting. I got to travel a lot to be with different projects and really learn what everybody was up to. And so I was probably not your, you know, normal spammy recruiter that we all get as recruiters and don't like so much. Well, we will spend this episode working to debunk that myth then. I love it. I I think it's really neat. It sounds like it gave you windows into a lot of different opportunities. And I think, yeah, to be able to kind of take those certifications and to learn about what you were hiring for, then also it sounds like translated to demonstrate to you like new interests and things to be passionate about. Yeah, honestly, I sort of think that it would be not a bad way to spend the first couple of years of a career because I definitely did not know you know, what I should be doing for a living. I had a lot of interests, didn't really know how to translate that, but let me kind of, you know, get a sneak peek into different people's lives. And yeah, that really, I think, let me make a good decision when I decided to change careers. It really reminds me of when, oh gosh, let's say like month one of being in my coding boot camp and industry experts would come in and we'd do like little networking moments. And I remember them asking like, so what specifically are you interested in or what area of tech do you want to pursue? And at that point, I didn't fully understand the difference between front end and back end. Like how on earth could I know what like I wanted to pursue or what I was going to be passionate about. And I think, you know, our society is kind of obsessed with 
Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, you know, put a label on what you're going to pursue. But especially in the tech, like that umbrella of an industry, there are so many different areas to specialize in and to to learn about that are so different from one another that like it's kind of a terrible thing that we do where we want to know, you know, we put that pressure on ourselves to figure it out. And it's neat that you kind of, yeah, got to see what each different area was all about before making the decision. And you bring up an interesting point and it makes me think that the way that, you know, our occupations are going, we're expecting increased emotional intelligence, but also increased technological savvy out of a lot of different jobs. So sure. I think it's hard. Like you could be a pretty well-rounded person and identify with multiple different career paths that would, you know, use your people skills, use your technical skills. And then tech in general is just such a deep field with so many specialties. It's a big ask to expect people to, you know, to know, especially at 18, you know, God, I was not in a position to know at 18. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Right. I ended up majoring in sociology because I couldn't pick one. Like it just was what landed and I had the most credits for. And so, yeah, I think getting the opportunity to explore the space in a kind of like low risk environment and, you know, also to be, it's that on the job learning that you were doing of like, okay, I'm recruiting for a mobile developer. Now I need to learn what that's all about. Like that is a really cool little tidbit of advice that I think that folks might want to consider. I think it's really smart. Yeah, it worked out really well. It actually took me a little bit of time because I had still multiple interests. I was like very torn between going into networking and programming. And then I also thought technical project management sounded cool. So I spent, I don't know, like the better part of a year doing stuff in my free time, like next to my recruiting stuff where I got to learn these different disciplines. It was kind of like playing dress up. I got to just, you know, try on, try on a subject, see like if I thought I could do it and like the very low pressure, no consequences could easily still change my mind. Right. I love that feeling when you lose yourself in the code and you look up and it's been hours later. There's that kind of aha moment that happens where it's like, oh, this is really fun or wow, this is really such a unique form of creative expression. And without, I don't know, I think there's something neat that you got to dive into that and that then let your passion drive it, it sounds like. You bring up a great point, which is creativity. That is actually why it won out over those other things. It seemed like coding was the most creative of those things. I'm a creative. I like to do art in my spare time and stuff like that. So I thought that would translate to programming. Definitely. And it totally does. It's so funny because folks that are outside of the industry have no, no clue how, how truly, and, you know, continuously I'll use the word, but creative it is because it's such a form of expression. There's never one correct way to answer something. And so it, you know, it's this really thoughtful way to tackle problem solving. And yeah, it's neat that you got to discover that because right. Like project management or being a TPM, you know, that's just executing someone else's vision. Right. And like kind of playing bridge between all the different things and it's neat. I'm happy that you found it. So cool. How did you then decide to actually like start learning to code then? So yeah, so I told you that as I was doing this, I was getting some tech certs here and there. And yeah, so I basically just, I was trying my hand. One of the things I was doing was uh, doing Code Academy on my mobile phone in my spare time, which I got rid of mobile for a little while, but they have since brought it back, which I was really happy to hear. That was definitely my gateway drug. <laughs> so I would start to code as I was kind of falling asleep. And I also had a uh, engineer at a place I worked kind of take a little bit of a personal interest in me learning to code and recommend some courses and some books. So I started doing the MIT online course where they use Scratch, which is a really simple programming language. You can teach it to kids. So I started doing that. And I guess I had a few like aha moments that really pushed me over the line. The first one was pretty early. I realized that I enjoyed programming so much more than anything I'd ever gotten to do for work. Sure. Recruiting is a little bit like just having the same conversation over and over. (laughs) So getting to know people is great, but it's a field that's very prone to burnout and it's because it's pretty repetitive. It's having the same conversation over and over and over again, I imagine. Yeah. And it's a lot of small talk. Yeah. I I still haven't, yeah, I still haven't recovered enough to date that much because I'm still so 
tired of small talk. Oh my gosh. First dates must be like super triggering because it's exactly the same thing again. You're like, no, oh my gosh. <laughs> it is. I'm actually, I'm working on that. Yeah. That's, that's rough. That is, you're like, let's skip that. Tell me your darkest fears go. <laughs> yeah. That would actually be probably a great date. I would be into that. <laughs> right. Just like, let's just skip the bullshit and just go <laughs> figure it out. No weather talk, no interest. No, there. oh my god, <laughs> deal breakers. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, a deep dark secret. <laughs> uh, exactly, I love it. We could build a really great dating app for that. I think <laughs> there's a good idea there. Hello, we belong here, listeners. I think we can all agree that 2020 was more or less a dumpster fire, right? On top of surviving a worldwide pandemic, good friends and family of mine lost their jobs, had their hours cut, or went out of business altogether. Yet many of these same people are talented creatives, web developers, photographers, graphic designers, SEO specialists, and writers with solid, marketable, in-demand skills. So I've turned them on to Hectic. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Hectic is everything a freelancer needs to get started, from an easy to use contracts and proposal builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoices that features click-to-pay technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid. Built specifically for freelancers, Hectic is everything you need to get started. Visit gethecticapp.com slash webelonghere to learn more and start for free. Yep, adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through the gethecticapp.com slash webelonghere, you'll be supporting me in this podcast because who couldn't use a little extra support right now? Visit gethecticapp.com slash webelonghere to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in-demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. Um, okay, cool. So then you, you were taking those certs and had a great mentor and like kind of had a path towards it, it sounds like. But when did you feel ready to start, you know, that moment of like switching gears? It sounds like this was something you were doing on the side and, you know, still had your recruiting role. When does it become full time? It did. Um, so I mentioned a little bit that my dad got sick um, when I was in college, and that actually plays into this story. Mm. So in 2015, as a recruiter, I had something like the worst year of my life. I had mm. two jobs in a row, had layoffs, and then I lost my dad um, right on the heels of that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wow. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I've not had another year like that. I'd be happy to never have one again. Anyway, it got to a point where I just had this career frustration and then my personal life was obviously very tough right then. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like nothing in my life is working for me right now. And it sounds weird because I was not in a good position in terms of like being in a good place. <laughs> I was not like built up emotionally for the hard process of learning to code, but I kind of just got to a point where I thought, I don't need to feel like this. You know, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change something. I don't want to just sit around and keep doing things that aren't working for me. So I made a kind of, kind of crazy choice. My family was a little worried about me. I walked away from my job. I walked away from my security clearance, moved away from DC to North Carolina, where I had never lived. <laughs> Not know anyone, but I moved to a really good tech town with the hopes that that would help launch my career. I love it. I love a leap of faith. I think it's, <laughs> they're so brave and it says so much about someone's character and just like, I'm going to do it and I am going to, yeah, I have a lot of things stacked against me, but I'm, it's worth it. And it's terrifying though. It was, it really like, it set my life on such a cool course though. Looking back, I don't know how I had the faith to do that, but 
I'm so glad it did. I met my best friend in the program. And yeah, just from the moment I started doing it, and I actually moved the first week of my boot camp, a 300 mile move, which was a terrible decision. So I did oh not start on a smooth footing at all. Yeah, that, that's because then you don't have a community and like you just have moved and then you dive into the program, which, you know, requires all 24 hours of your day. Yeah. So yeah, that transition sounds tough. <laughs> it was, but the really funny thing was in my program, I found out that maybe about half the people, some actually had computer science degrees. Others were already doing like app support work or had a little bit more of a launch pad. I did not have a good background to make that change. I did not really have transferable skills. We, in the first week, got past the complexity of my Code Academy stuff I'd been doing on the side. Sure. So it was a very graceless process. Like I was not good at code at all. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate. Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) But I loved it like from day one and that was the only thing I had going for me, but that was honestly enough. I love it. Yeah. That like passion was enough to keep the lights on and drive you forward. I mean, yeah, there's like a ton of imposter syndrome that probably happens in those moments of like my classmates know all of this already. How am I going to keep up? And yeah, I, I, I similarly, yeah, went in my program that I did, you know, just constantly was like, oh my gosh, wait, you won't get this? Like, oh, you've worked with yeah. databases before. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, walk me through what that is again. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And some of them I didn't learn later. I've had so many people that I'm like, wow, they're just like a natural dynamo. They're so good at And every single person, I've later found out that they actually had a background in coding and I just didn't know about it. I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I was always so envious of folks in my program that had partners at home that were software developers or engineers. And I just wanted to murder them because, you know, I would go home and would be struggling totally on my own. And I was just so envious that they, you know, got to turn over in bed and be like, Hey, so I'm working through this problem right now. And just like, at least there's this like physical rubber ducky, even if they're not doing the work for them, but it felt like it was. And I just was so like had a chip on my shoulder about it. But like, I feel the same. No, I don't normally like begrudge people you know, I'm usually happy for people. But. Right. Like I try to live my life with like incredible optimism, but like for some reason I had like anger in my heart over it and it's so ridiculous now. <laughs> no, I was very jealous. We did have a person jealous. like that and they were completely fabulous and I just, oh. less about not wanting them to have the advantage and more just frustration at where I was. That's so much better put. Oh my gosh. No, absolutely. That hundred percent. And just being like, I, you know, because it gets exhausting that like struggle of not knowing every single day and feeling fresh. And it's hard in those moments to like celebrate the victories, the small ones, as small as they are, but like, because you then just get a new assignment that is all about things you don't know again. And so it's tough, but I mean, good for you. It sounds like it was really a successful program for you. And then was a good like jumping off point to breaking into the industry. It was. So I definitely started kind of in the bottom of the pack, just from the move and not really having a background, but liking it as much as I did, even by the middle of the program, I was like up to the middle. And then by the end, I was like the middle high edge of the group. So it turned around really fast and that definitely gave me hope. So then what came next after finishing that? So yeah, I did have a tricky job hunt because I've talked a little bit about going back to school. That's still in progress. So I do not hold a degree. And so it was a little bit of a hard sell to tell people I don't have any experience been doing this for you know x weeks but I am your next junior programmer (laughs) no I mean I think that's super relatable though and I mean good for you for finishing it now but yeah I mean it's like when you're competing against all these other coding boot camp graduates and all of your portfolios look identical essentially you know it's that like differentiation moment is so tough and I know listeners will 100%, you know, we have all been in that same boat or currently are, so. It definitely had false starts. Um, I actually had one early offer that was, like, very, very low, but I was just, I was open to it to get my foot in the door. Yeah, at least it's a job. Sure, sure. I can... And I tried to negotiate with them a little bit, and they retracted the offer and said that I didn't seem motivated enough. 
stop it. Because that's what always everyone says. You know, that's the thing. They're like, well, you know, they'll never, you know, just ask for more because what the worst they're going to do is retract and they never do that. Yeah. So it's very rare. And, you know, having a recruiting negotiation background, I definitely didn't say anything offensive to them when I was negotiating. Like I came at it very respectfully. So there was nothing legitimate to make them do that. But I have known a tiny, tiny handful of people it's happened to. And we are always better off. Like it's such a red flag. That's a great point. And yeah, that's so true. Like, you know, of course, when you're interviewing, it may feel super desperate to find something, but it is true that you should be interviewing right back and looking for those moments of like not a good fit. And sounds like that was a blessing in a disguise, really. It really was. And it wound up working out perfectly. I had almost a textbook transition, 90 day job hunt before getting offered a job at a nonprofit. And that was actually my goal when we used to do our outcomes in the boot camp. I had specifically wanted to do nonprofit work. So you really can get what you want, I guess is my point. Even if feels like the job hunt is hopeless sometimes. Mm-hmm. There's no path forward. It is interesting because sometimes on, on this podcast, I like to talk about, you know, what are the skills that from your prior roles, how do they help you today? I bet actually um, hearing that story, you're probably incredibly skilled and like, you know, the art of negotiation. So I think like everyone, I have a little trouble advocating for myself. So much easier to do it for friends. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Um, so true. (laughs) It's hard to feel on the spot, but I do try. I do have some tricks I've built up over the years. And I have one resource that I will talk about a little more later that has really helped me a lot in negotiation. But I do think it helped me market myself for sure. The recruiting skills. When I was a recruiter, I told you that I didn't do like spray and pray candidate contacts. I was very Um, Part of that was actually learning advanced Boolean search techniques. So I applied that backwards to searching for jobs. Brilliant. Yeah. So that definitely, definitely helped. Yeah. So you were really targeting exactly what you were looking for and not just applying to every single available job that was out there, but really setting yourself up for success that the folks that were coming back were going to be people that you were also interested in just right as much. Yeah. And it's really hard. One thing that may be interesting for career changers listening to this is there's so much noise when you look for jobs because there are now a lot of job boards that have web crawlers just going through the web, collecting jobs, Mm -hmm. they aggregate them and they often don't do a perfect job. So jobs repeat and repeat in the result list. And it's very time consuming to go through that. So the Boolean techniques help cut through a lot of that chatter for sure. Mm, I see. So it shows you like authentic, real, you know, single application to throw your name into. I like that. Hello, We Belong Here listeners. Today's episode is sponsored by the new We Belong Here Discord community. I recently have been thinking about ways to continue the conversation with guests after each episode, to foster our community, share resources, and stay connected to both the guests and listeners. And I'm excited because we've created a We Belong Here Discord server. What is Discord, you might be asking? Well, it's a voice, video, and text communication service to talk and hang out with your friends and communities. I know, neat, right? It will be a place for us to connect, share resources, mentor, and build community together. Everyone is welcome, and it promises to be an incredibly inclusive space. It's important to me that everyone has an inclusive community where everyone feels welcome and supported. And this could be yours. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in joining, please do. The link to join is bit.ly slash webelongdiscord. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash webelongdiscord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Or find a link in my bio on Twitter or Instagram at lolocoding. I'm super excited to see you there. Okay, so bring us to today and tell me more about what you do now working in that red hat on the product vulnerability tooling. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I definitely did take kind of segueing from the last topic. I definitely did take recruiting skills straight into my career. So the Boolean stuff I mentioned set me up to do query construction with SQL pretty well. It's basically recruiters are doing queries through, you know, a user interface, but a lot of it is SQL under Mm -hmm. the hood. Mm Mm-hmm. So I translated to 
SQL work pretty well, and I've stuck with that. So that's one of my primary skill sets. I also pretty early in my career got hooked up with the Vue.js community. I'm one of the only, I think, bootcamp people I know that has barely touched React or Angular. I kind of zigged instead of zagged, <laughs> um, but... Great. I mean, it like allows your portfolio to stand out though, in a way. It does. It's actually worked well for me. Earlier in my career, I definitely thought, you know, oh, am I missing out not learning React? But I just had this realization, like, there are people years ahead of me and so much better than me. Do I really want to just play catch up? So I said, mm, I'm going to go off and do Vue. <laughs> and it, it wound up working pretty well. So yeah, that and then Python. I build a lot of APIs with Python and I also do data work like uh, ETL systems to process data pipelines as well as some automation work. And in the past, I've also worked on software for networking, nice. which can be Python heavy. So yeah, those three things took me to Red Hat. I work in a unit that basically catalogs vulnerabilities that may affect Red Hat products and we give people tools to use them to keep our customers informed and get them necessary patches so that they aren't impacted by any vulnerabilities. Usually the vulnerabilities aren't like Red Hat did something wrong. Usually they're larger things and trends in the ecosystem, but we still like to do a really good job for our customers. So taking care of vulnerabilities very seriously is definitely treated as important work over there. And yeah, I work on three or four apps that help facilitate that, doing mostly backend work now, which I really love. It's neat the, to see the, the bits that translate and other areas that you've been kind of able to learn while in the roles etc. to kind of really find your passion in the space. Yeah, it's been great. I do feel like I've kind of found my niche and I know kind of like you said earlier, that is a really tough thing as a new tech person. I chose to stay generalist for the first couple years in the field. Generalist, like very broadly, like I would write SQL script and then turn around and be doing CSS. So like all over the stack. And yeah, it took a couple of years for me to say, this is something I want to hang my hat on with backend. And I'm glad I waited to really know what I liked because I am really happy with it now. And I feel like I've explored enough to really know my own mind. Yeah, I think that's actually incredible advice. Stay generalist as long as you can until, or as long as you need to, I guess, until you find the thing that is just so obvious to you that you have to continue pursuing that specialty. Yeah, I definitely just, I did not have a feeling for the longest time. And then I'm sure it happened gradually, but it felt like I woke up one day and I was like, I know what I'm <laughs> going to do with my career. I love and it. So it just hit you out of you know out of seemingly nowhere but in reality it's you know built up experiences with different things help you make your mind up at the point that is right for you well, it sounds like you've ended up exactly where you're meant to be and i'm curious it sounds like you found success in this space why are you continuing on with your degree yeah so that's an interesting question <laughs> We don't have to. We don't have to talk about that. I just I was only out of curiosity. No, it's good know. to talk about. I think a lot of people who attend boot camps have fear of missing out. And to be honest, I also sometimes hear people have pretty harsh remarks about boot camps, which I don't always appreciate. There's a lot of very in programs, but the people who attend boot camps, you know, are very earnestly fighting to try to do something with their lives. And so I have a lot of respect for that. Anyway, my my. Sky high view of the degree now that I'm this far in. I'm ending junior year and I have one more tech class in the degree and then just some random like history and communication stuff. So what I'll say at this point, I don't know that it was worth the money I spent, but when I decided to do it, I basically just felt tired of having to explain why I belonged in the room. And that's not a good reason to spend that amount of money. I will be the first one to tell you that. And the funny thing is, you know, since I've been a dev lead, I've been a, I'm a senior software engineer now. So I don't really need it for my, you know, ego anymore. I'm a lot more secure software engineer than I started out as. At this point, I'm so close that it seems a little silly to not finish. So that's why I'm continuing with it. But Hell yeah. I will tell you, you know, whether you want to do a boot camp or self-teach or get a degree, don't let anybody tell you that it's not worth learning and growing. It sure. absolutely sure. is. There is not anything magic about a degree. I will tell you that. I think the most the most positive thing about the degree is just the time frame. Like I've been exposed to different areas of tech over several years now. 
every weekend for several years spent, you know, on homework. It's just consistent effort, but you could be doing that outside of school. Yeah. It's like logging those 10,000 hours in a way, right? It's just like continuous, continuous education and never like plateauing. Yeah, for sure. And it, it has helped my confidence, even though the degree isn't done yet. So it's not the credential that's making me feel, you know, more secure in my skills. I've enjoyed what I've learned. Like it's been good. The formats are really adaptable nowadays to online, which is what has enabled me to do it. And some of my employers have helped pay, which is a great thing about working in tech and having these good benefits. But yeah, it is not a silver bullet. And I probably have very like mixed remarks if anyone were to ask me, should I do a degree? Yeah, it's interesting. I I mean, good for you for sticking with it though, too. Like that is, it would be easy, you know, when you step into that senior role to be like, you know what, I've had, I'm I'm successful in this career. I don't need to like continue on with it. So I think it's still an incredibly impressive demonstration of like grit and perseverance. And yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And it, it has been interesting. Like I have learned some really good stuff. Some of it is out of date. And so sometimes it's hard to feel like I'm using my time well. Some of it has been spot on, really amazing and perfect. So like applicable immediately. Sure. Yeah. Like right now I get to learn a bunch of AWS stuff. I'm in a cloud computing course that's, you know, extremely relevant to everything I'm up to, but right. There have been others that were less relevant. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Oh, gosh, I love it. That's funny. Okay, well, can you share any life lessons that you've learned since your uh, transition from recruiting to tech? Yeah, so I guess I do really have a soft spot in my heart for the people changing careers. It's really hard. And I have some resources I want to share later that are about community. And I didn't have that. And I think that was a critical misstep on my part. I think it would have made my life so much easier, more positive and so much more support Mm -hmm. than when I made my career change. But if I did have a message for anybody who is, you know, studying 60 hours a week, getting rejected every time they turn around, I really have been there and my heart still goes out. I do a lot of mentoring for that reason to help people in that, you know, spot. But I remember having this one realization that kind of got me through. And so I guess I would just share that in case it helps anybody. Yeah. Basically the kind of inner dialogue I used to have in my most annoying moments when somebody just like tore my code test apart and just not doing well in the job hunt process was I used to just remind myself that I wanted a job more than these people don't want to hire me. I want to be good at coding more than I'm currently bad at coding. I did not have anything special going for me, but I just knew that my will was stronger than my obstacles. And so I just thought, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm still going to prevail just because I know how stubborn I am. That's beautiful. I mean, honestly, I think that that is a cool self-awareness too of like, I'm not going to give up. And it doesn't matter what is coming my way and it can be the biggest hurdles and obstacles, but I want to be here. I want to learn and nothing's stopping me. So I can just forget about that piece already. Like it doesn't become a part of my brain space anymore because I'm not going to let it win. And it is, yeah, it's an important thing to think about. Like what, you know, what motivates you? Why are you here? Why are we wanting this? And so once you can declare it, it's a nice thing to kind of drive forward with. Yeah. And I definitely feel like, you know, even the most brutal no cannot stop you from being a programmer if that's what you want to do. So I suck in the moment. Like they're awful. And I remember some that were just so over the top, like unkind that they really just took me back at the moment. Um, but yeah, just remembering it's about you and it's about what you want and nobody can make you not be a developer if that's what you are. Let's go there with the advice, you know, for those that are wanting to transition into tech that are on that beginning part of their journey, what do we share with them? Yeah. So I talked a little bit about community. I think that's an area I didn't do great in because I was not historically on social media very much. I'm a newcomer, like way after the fact. Mm. I'm on Twitter way too much now, but I joined like, I think a year or two ago. (laughs) I haven't been on long, but I see so many new people now find really good community on Twitter. There are some Slack channels. There is a code newbies Slack. There is a code buddies Slack. Code buddies. I'm not aware of that one. Okay. And I will uh, include all of these things in the show notes, but. Oh, 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm actually, to full disclosure, I am a moderator for Code Buddies, but only because I hung around so long, they, you know, let me in. Tell me what that community is. Yeah, so I definitely give a shout out to the creator, uh, Linda. It's a Slack channel with multiple channels for different interests and languages. They have, for instance, a channel to review algorithms that people are sometimes very active in when they're job hunting. You can get back and reviews. They have channels for general conversation, just, you know, getting to know people, making connections. And I do have years long friendships that have actually come out of this Slack. (laughs) They also have, you know, like a JavaScript channel that people Um. can go to with specific questions. So it's a good mix of community and technical resources. They also do Hangouts for collaborative pair programming, which is a really cool feature. Cool. I mean, yeah, that sounds super like a great resource when you are stuck in something and don't have anyone like we were saying (laughs) back in a program and you don't have the partner at home who's like, oh, yeah, of course I understand that. Like, yeah, or just like when you're stuck, it can feel so isolating and it's nice to be able to know you can reach out to someone with a question. Yeah, it's such a different experience than like me sitting there looking at Stack Overflow and being so new, I couldn't even get the Stack Overflow answer to work. Like (laughs) being able to actually ask a human is a completely different experience. I will also add, there are some really great communities oriented around groups that are not so well represented in tech. I'm a big participant of the Women in Tech Slack. I'm a member of what used to be View Vixens is now Front End Foxes, which has resources workshops worldwide and it's really great to meet other people Mm -hmm. that you can feel a little bit at home with like they look a little like you or they may have a similar background or frame of reference that's a very powerful community that I really wish I had when I was so new and you know so full of doubt and not very good at what I was doing yeah no I think that that is it's just wonderful to be able to say oh you also are struggling with this or I don't know that's probably a negative way to approach that but like to feel like you are a part of something whilst on the journey, uh, it, it's just affirming. And, you know, once again, like that we belong here. So I, I love it. Exactly. And it would have made a huge difference. I know just in how I felt about my job hunt, you know, felt about how normal the things I was going through were, <laughs> you know, not being very good at code and needing to practice. Like, It's a very normal experience, but it would be hard to know that if you're just on your own. On your own, right. And gosh, I I mean, I remember we have in my boot camp, like a Slack channel, you know, just horror stories of interviews and people like, I passed out in an interview. Like I passed out in a Google (laughs) interview today. (laughs) Oh my God. But also just being able to like laugh at it too. Be like, oh my gosh, this is such a chaotic world we're entering. And yet here we are wanting to be a part of it and also now wanting to be a part of the change. And yeah, it's just really, it's a cool thing to be able to, uh, we, my, my program was for women and gender diverse folk or is for it's currently still exists. Um, but they really tried to remind us that it was about collaboration over competition, which is so cheesy, but I freaking love the concept because like there is room for all of us at the top and we, you know, it's our duty to help one another get there. Also, once we're in it, like, let's be a mentor, as you said, and let's, you know, share the horror stories, but also the successes and the tips and the tricks and all the advice. And I just so appreciate you sharing all the resources. And yes, I will be sure to make sure that they're all, you know, hyperlinked and readily available in the show notes. Awesome. And there's one additional one that I will tell you about really quick that I volunteer with as a code teacher called Code the Dream, which is actually kind of a bootcamp like program, but it is free and they have some emphasis on people with lower incomes and also improving diversity in tech. That's a really fabulous program and they have been able to do it remotely, although they do have a strong base in North Carolina as well as some other places. That's where I am, but um, they're a really excellent program and I I definitely want to give them a shout out for anybody who might be considering a bootcamp like program, but sees that price tag and gets a little worried. Yeah, it can be such a blocker. So that's cool that that's a resource available uh, for free. I love that. Yeah, and free resources really have come 
miles and bounds. I also did want to give a shout out to anybody who's in the decision stage of, you know, should I do college? Should I do boot camp? If I had to give honest advice to somebody, like general advice, you know, your individual situation may vary, but right. But from someone who's done both, all three, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all three of the certs, yeah. learning on my own certs, yeah, everything. <laughs> there is also a open source software degree that I've not finished personally, just because I'm already in school, but everything I can see of the program, it looks extremely well thought out. It's up on GitHub. It's open source in the truest sense of the word, but it covers a full CS curriculum. And they even have, if you finish it, they even have more advanced coursework mapped out to you, kind of like you might get, you know, in a college environment. So yeah, the OSSU open source software degree is, and self-learning, but being a part of these communities. That would be the path I would honestly recommend to most people today. Sounds so cool. I love that. I will 100% include the, that in the resources because, I, yeah, I mean, I'm curious, but I want to look into that. I lo- I'm such a curriculum geek. I'm obsessed with seeing kind of like how the art of framing, what is taught in what order too. And so I'm always fascinated how, you know, just that delivery method and, and you know, setting folks up for that journey to take it on. I'm curious, but very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think you have incredible wisdom having seen all sides of it. And so, uh, yeah, you've got (laughs) this inside scoop. I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it hasn't always been like uh, glamorous or very straightforward, but I am grateful, you know, for all the mix of experiences I've gotten to have. Yeah, ditto. Okay, well, thank you for those resources. And though, but JT, where can people find you online? Yes. So I am hey JTK on Twitter on there way too much. If anybody wants to uh, follow me on dev.to, I'm dev.to slash hey JTK. And then, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I'm still not a huge social media person, but I am a classic slacker. So you'll also find me on the Code Newbie Slack, the Code Buddies Slack. I'm on the Code Cafe Discord, which is awesome. And the Women in Tech Slack, another one that I think will get linked awesome. here. That's really Amazing. great. Amazing. Very cool. Well, you have officially, you know, taken the spot as my favorite JT in my life. I was a, I was a big JT fan growing <laughs> up. Um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, for who I'm now aging myself out in the in world. Um, but you, I, this has been such a pleasure to talk to, with you and hear about your journey. And just thank you so much for sharing everything that you did with the audience. I could not appreciate you more. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Right, bye. This episode of We Belong Here is brought to you by the book From Cubicle to Cloud by Jennifer Brazer, a new book that is available everywhere and anywhere you find books. Here's a conversation she and I had just last week. Hello, Jennifer. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Lauren, I am so excited to be with you today. Uh, Okay, so let's start and tell me just about your book, From Cubicle to Cloud. Yes. Today, first of all, everyone should know is my launch day. And that's why I'm so excited to be talking to you. Thank you. Um, From Cubicle to Cloud is really just kind of the culmination of everything that I've been working on for just a little bit over a decade um, with the firm that I created, Complete Controller. And it's my way of sharing all of my learnings and bumps and bruises with the rest of the world. I love that. Like giving back to your community, paying it forward, the lessons you've learned along the way and saying, hey, everyone, I think you might benefit from this. Exactly. And just hoping that... I can spark um, and maybe even help springboard some new entrepreneurs that are thinking of breaking into industries that perhaps weren't previously very tech savvy and not be afraid of that. You know, I came from an accounting background and I mean, if you know anything about accountants, we're kind of boring and we are very conservative. And so, you know, we don't do crazy out there things uh, without a lot of contemplation and looking at what everyone else is doing. But I was one of those pioneers that before the cloud was sexy, I started a cloud-based professional services business and was doing accounting in the cloud. Wow, that's so cool. So that is essentially the audience that you wrote it for, to encourage folks to kind of live boldly and bravely also and to learn the lessons that you did? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like 
we learn so much from each other through our shared experiences. And mm -hmm. when you mm -hmm. tell someone a story of what happened, whether you turn out to be, you know, beaten and bloodied at the end, or if you, if you're triumphant, you know, the story is equally valuable because they get to see what mm -hmm. you went through and either avoid or build on your learnings. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of those things. So, so as a female entrepreneur, what are some of your biggest challenges that you've been facing? Well, I just want to say that, and, and I don't know if it's just an industry thing or, or if this is all across the board, because my experience of course is with the industry, but you know, sure. as a, as a female and also because I happen to be in the bookkeeping side of accounting, I felt like I didn't mm -hmm. have as much kind of clout and authority when I went out there and shared with people what my business vision was and really trying to get people on board with it. And now it seems like, you know, we've really come a long way in terms of women being, you know, recognized for just being super smart and being able to be strategic and manage mm -hmm. things even sometimes at a different level than our male counterparts and and that we all have these you know characteristics that are beneficial but back then and this is only a decade ago it's not like I'm talking about the 1950s here you know <laughs> but it just seemed like because I was coming from that female perspective mm -hmm. and I was coming sure. from an area of accounting that was, let's not say less important, but I feel like maybe the industry saw it that way because it didn't require as many degrees. It didn't, you know, require that kind of big firm shingle in order to perform the services. Mm -hmm. And so then there was that too, coming from that background, it just felt like there wasn't always the reception of, Hey, um, you know, as I'm walking in the room, you already believe that I'm, you know, intelligent. I have my act together. I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. There's always this bit of a challenge of having to over explain and, and get people to understand that, Hey, I know what I'm talking about and this can work and it is working mm -hmm. to prove your worth almost and to have to declare that you deserve to be in that space. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So why do women need to consider cloud-based businesses? Well, I just really think that it's really important for us to be able to have flexibility that the cloud gives us. I mean, both men and women mm. should be looking to the cloud if they're not already there in terms of, you know, the platform on which to build their business. Because quite frankly, it's here. It's not going anywhere. And people are going to become more and more virtualized. Businesses will become more and more virtualized as time goes on. And I think that COVID really kind of lit the fire under our butts, right? It's like, Wow. <laughs> if you were thinking about getting tech savvy and cloud ready, um, stop thinking about it and start doing it. Right. Because we're here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like though, for me as a woman, you know, one of the things that really kind of pushed me to embrace technology and launch into a realm that wasn't traditional for, you know, the model of what I was offering was because I had kids, I had other responsibilities, and I was finding that if I'm getting in my car in the morning and I'm driving somewhere to serve a client, and then I'm serving that client and I'm driving back, my hours are my inventory. And the market will only bear so much in terms of what they'll pay for that inventory. And then what happens when you have a sick kid or you want to go on vacation or, you know, God forbid, somebody like want you to come to their school play or help out with rehearsals or, you know, and I have three kids. They, they're busy. I'm telling sure. you. And just having to say no to them so I could say yes to a client mm -hmm. so I could make ends meet, that didn't feel right. And then vice versa, having to say no to a client and not being able to show up for them. So there's yeah. like this guilt juggernaut that you find yourself in. And I mean, right. of course, Both I feel don't bad. wish COVID on anybody, but there's this silver lining to the pandemic where people and businesses started to realize that not only can we do mm -hmm. this, 
But if we embrace it and we do it properly, we can save on efficiencies. We can make our staff pool happier in the work that they're doing. We can make the workspace more flexible so that they're not suffering from that guilt, right? Mm. And I mean, there's a matter of trust that has to happen there. You have to be able to know that they're working. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to measure the work product. And those are some of the things I cover in the book because a cloud-based business is so different than an office where you could just walk in the room and kind of feel the pulse of things, right? Yeah, that's super fair. I mean, looking back on it now, what were some of the mistakes that you made in your business model that you know you share and others, I, know, I guess we hope others can avoid? <laughs> Oh my goodness, I made so many, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I mean, I guess that makes for a good book, right? <laughs> that's, exactly. that's the juicy bit. It's like, oh, we tried this and yep, that didn't work. <laughs> that was a flop. <laughs> and there's definitely quite a bit of that in the book. Um, I'm sure. You know, I was feeling my way around this platform for delivery that wasn't accepted by the industry. I'm a woman with three kids at home, three beautiful girls. Mm -hmm. They're, they were all teenage when I started the business oh. and I'm busy trying to make ends meet and I was bootstrapping it. I was not wanting to, you know, bring in mm -hmm. investors and make it into this big thing. Um, I really wanted to start small, see if it was feasible. And then once I got to that point, then building it, I made a conscious decision to hold on to the equity in as much as I could and stay debt free and keep my cap table clear. Mm. And so, you know, when you're bootstrapping it, there's a whole nother set of challenges that you add to the equation, right? Oh my goodness. I mean, if I'm well-funded, <laughs> I'm out there throwing money around to get yep. things done. And yes, you might be able to get things done a little quicker, but what you don't learn mm -hmm. is where exactly will my dollar have the greatest impact? And I feel like bootstrappers have the advantage of learning that early on because mm -hmm. they have to spend that dollar in the best possible way and get the greatest return on their money and their energy because there's no deep pocket that they can yeah. reach into to solve the problem if they create a mistake or make a bad decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just have to be that much smarter and aware and present, right? Like you can't just set on autopilot. It's every, every bit of information is important. I want to point out a really critical problem that I see business owners make or a mistake, I would say, that I see them make that I would hope I can get this message out to as many people as possible in my lifetime. You know, entrepreneurs, um, when we start out, we tend to be, you know, pretty much into trying to put the model together, seeing if it works, getting excited about it, talking with everyone about it. We come from this place of creativity and usually from a place of humility because we're mm -hmm. not sure it's going to work. And, and, you know, we're kind of throwing spaghetti noodles against the wall to see what sticks, yeah, yeah. right? And then what I have seen is a lot of times an entrepreneur will either get some funding or they will get a little taste of success. And what they'll do then is they'll turn around and they'll start to want to surround themselves with the trappings of success. So next thing you know, they've moved into a McMansion and they have, you know, <laughs> they have the boat and the kids are going to private school and, you know, all of that oh, yeah. is absolutely, you know, they deserve it. it. It's what you aspire to. If that's what they define as success, then go for it. Right. But what I find happens is that they go for that too early and they begin to starve the business and they don't take the time to hone the skills that are required within the business to create a really strong foundation for future success. Hmm. If you're, if you're not willing to take the profits and reinvest them into the business and you're so eager to take them out, 
or perhaps you got funding and you're used to there being plenty of money for you to take that <laughs> six-figure salary right from the beginning, right, which mm-hmm. strappers can't do, then, you know, it gets you used to something that might actually be the wrong move. And so I would really encourage entrepreneurs to stay in that ramen noodles phase for a bit longer, you know, if you do have a McMansion, rent out some rooms, you know, share a car with your mm-hmm. wife. Um, the kids can go to public school for a couple of years. It's probably not going to permanently scar them. They can pay for the therapy when they grow <laughs> up, right? You know. So stay hungry, stay small in a way, or, you know, be that startup still so that you are aware and don't take it for granted either. Yes. Be lean longer. Give yourself an opportunity to continue to make those really efficient, highly important decisions about how the company is going to model itself, how it's going to feed itself, because it's like a child that needs your attention. (laughs) You know, you have to continue to feed it. You have to raise it up. So it's strong and then it can support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The nurturing piece is so imperative. That's great advice. I think that that is learned experience and something that folks may not want to hear necessarily, but it's good advice. So I appreciate you saying that. If we can get one person out of trouble, you know, and have their business survive, here's the thing. With COVID, it was really interesting because we serve the small business market at Complete Controller, my bookkeeping company. And we saw so many people who had invested everything in their businesses wind up having to make the decision to close the doors or make the very tough decision to, you know, scale back tremendously mm-hmm. on their dreams. And mm-hmm. the ones that stuck were the ones that they just knew, you can't know a pandemic's coming, okay? But you know that something is coming. And I try to tell people when I mentor them in business, plan for something to happen, whether it's going to be an economic downturn. Hey, I started my business in 2007. Look at what happened in 2008, right? Yeah. So do you think I knew that was coming? No. And you won't. You won't know COVID's coming or whatever that next thing is around the the corner. But what you can do is you can make, create a business model that can scale up and scale back with efficiencies in place so that it always has profit. So if it's in operation, it's profiting. Mm. That's really where you want to get to. And it's very difficult to do that when you have a brick and mortar rent over your head, right? So take it to the cloud, be lean. Uh, So lessons such as this is what uh, readers can expect to walk away with kind of tangible pieces for their own entrepreneurial experiences. Absolutely. And, you know, I talk about the bootstrap journey. I talk about Mm -hmm. also, you know, if you're going to operate in the cloud, you know how you can't go in the office and feel the pulse of the office and know who showed up for work Mm -hmm. that day because you could lay eyes on them. You have to have an alternative Mm -hmm. way to be able to monitor the health of your business. And so that's where KPIs really come into play. And, you know, larger companies have been using KPIs to manage their businesses for many years because they have that same problem. There's no way they can have eyes on every department, right? And feel the pulse of every employee because they're too big. Well, for cloud-based businesses, it's the same thing. It's just not that you're too big. It's that you're too far away. And so developing KPIs that will measure the work that's being done in terms of how quickly it's being done, what the quality is, whether or not it's getting passed off, that type of thing, you know, needs to be in place. You can't do that if you don't have succinct scopes of work and supporting framework for those scopes for every role that you have within the company. Because otherwise, if you can't properly delegate, you have these people that are just always coming back to you for feedback on what they should be doing. And if they're working from home or working in an environment that isn't structured where basically all they can do is work because they're at work, right? Then you have to create that environment for them by really laying out what the boundaries of their playground are 
and what needs to happen on that playground and what you're going to be measuring at the end of the day, week, month, year. Yeah. So it's super tangible for them. And then they can succeed and meet their goals also, because that feels good for everyone involved. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And then that's a motivator for them because they feel like they're achieving and it's going to be a great place to work. It also takes away from that you know, I mean, nobody wants like, oh, clock in at nine and leave at five and, you know, fill in the time in between. The manager doesn't want that and the staff member doesn't want that, you know? So to really create a, a scope where, you know, hey, deliver this work product. This is what I'm looking for. Then, yeah, you're right. It just sets them free to be able to achieve. And if they need yeah. to be in contact, obviously, with like customers or, mm-hmm. you know, need to be available during certain hours in order to interact with other staff members, that makes sense, right? But how often do you wake up in the middle of the night and just have a brainstorm and start clicking away on your keyboard, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of allows then, too, for a relationship between employer and employee to have trust and to build an authentic relationship, I imagine then also, because like we both are very clear of what we're trying to achieve and we know how we're going to check in and talk about it too and status updates and just in general, like define success. Absolutely. Pushing the ball forward toward that goal that's been Mm -hmm. set by whoever the visionary is. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, what each person's role is to getting that ball pushed forward. And then if it, mm-hmm. if it requires several roles, then what, even down to what does the baton pass look like? You know, mm-hmm. at what point am I accountable to another role because they're expecting me to show up with something? And what is that something sure. I'm showing up with? How will it be measured? And that's all very important. When you lay it out for them, then they have mm-hmm. that freedom and that autonomy to be able to not just succeed, but kind of blow your mind, you know? Yeah, push boundaries of expectation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the ones that do, then you can just handpick those ones and say, okay, you're yeah. staying, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And then that that then speaks to like the scaling that your book talks about as well. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I think that this is, it sounds like it is just something that a ton of different readers will benefit from and your audience is so wide. So I'm just so excited for the We Belong Here listeners to check it out. Where should folks find it online? If you just search from cubicle to cloud, you will find it anywhere books are sold. So if you're already Amazon, you want it free shipping, go to Amazon. You want Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, go there. It's all there. Book people, you know, we're in with any major retailer and published today, which is so exciting. I'm like Geppetto seeing Pinocchio come to life. So exciting. Yeah, I'm sure just like after such a long process, I imagine it must just feel unreal to now see it physically in front of a different people and to now see people reading it and everything. It's just what a whirlwind, but congratulations. It's so fun to be chatting with you today on your pub date. But yeah, thank you so much for being a part of the We Belong Here community. Thank you. Very excited. <laughs> Everyone go check it out. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to get yourself one. And then the cool thing that we're doing too is you can visit jenniferbrazer.com and we're putting some workshops together because oh what you find is at the end of every chapter in the book is this little section called pen to paper. Because I'm one of those that I believe that entrepreneurs in creating the model of their business and really getting that vision down, they need to like have that practical application, right? They need to sit down and like draw it out. And so in those sections, what I do is I take the learnings from the chapter and I kind of break them down and ask some questions that, yeah, just could get the reader to be thinking about how they might practically apply that to their business. And, you know, maybe it applies, maybe it doesn't, but it just gets them thinking along those lines. And then the workshops will kind of take that to the next level, depending on where you are on your cloud journey. You know, some people are just now 
saying, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I need Mm -hmm. to put something together. And if you're even halfway tech savvy, you can figure out how to, you know, get all of those basic components that are all virtualized from your phone system to your email to, you know, document storage and sharing and, and these types of things. There, there are a lot of tools out there. Um, but then the next level is, you know, what if you're kind of already there, but then how do you leverage it? How do you monitor your staff? How do you mentor how do you establish trusting client relationships if you can't be in the same room with them, you know? Sure. So, so that's what some of the, the workshops cover. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's so great. And as a prior teacher myself, I really love an interactive worksheet. So I think that's so fun that every chapter ends that way. What great resources for your community. That's so incredible. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, Jennifer, it's been so great to chat with you today. Uh, I'm so excited for the listeners to go check it out and congratulations again. Thanks again, Lauren. It's been great. Take care. And that's a wrap on today's episode. I'm Lauren Lee. Thank you for listening to We Belong Here. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, find me on Twitter at Lolo Coding. That's L-O-L-O-C-O-D. I-N-G. Shoot me an email or leave a comment on the We Belong Here website. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please subscribe and review the show on your podcast player of choice. And be sure to check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.